When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, lovely listeners. It's once again me, Tal Manier, your showrunner, sound designer, etc., sitting down this time with Stephen Indrasano. Wow. Wearer of many hats, including dialogue editing, which is what I really want to uh, sit down and chat about. Yeah, it's me. Hi again. You might recognize me uh, for my most famous credit, the credits voice on Regarding Dracula. I had to do the credits for the bonus with Hannah. And I felt like like a terrible knockoff version of you. And I was like, and it's a bloody FM production, don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> Kirkland brand. I know. I, I am just the like Kirkland brand, Stephen Indrasano. <laughs> That's 100% not true. <laughs> no, um, this is actually, it's a funny one because we were just talking before we started recording that Tao and I work incredibly closely. The mm-hmm. relationship between a dialogue editor and a sound designer is it, like... It's like two partners in a dance. Like you have to really know what the other person needs, what their style is, know what you can and can't request. And yet we barely ever talk. We just kind of <laughs> pass files to each other. So this is kind of a fun novelty. I'm, I'm so excited. What's the last time we were like properly on a call together was when we made casting decisions. <laughs> Oh my God, you're right. That was a long was. time ago now. Anyway, so great to steal an hour an hour of your time to ask you a bunch of questions. It's my absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah. I mean, I love dialogue editing, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of like public knowledge about what that <laughs> is or what it means. I feel like your job is kind of secret in a way that I don't want it to be. Yeah. Should I just kind of give like a, a brief definition here? Yeah. I would love for you to just kind of answer the question, what is dialogue editing? How does it work? What do you do? So dialogue editing is the art of taking the audio from your actors and splicing that together into everything minus the sound effects and music, etc. So, for example, our actors will send me a file that has two to three takes of whatever that episode is. And that can be individual lines, that can be their longer narration. I'll take those files in along with the uh, director's notes. So sometimes the directors will say, hey, we really like this take. Please keep it. And I will take that and kind of knit it all together, stitch it Frankenstein-like into one what's called a vocal cut or a dialogue cut. So that's not just the takes that the actors do, but also like the fine timing between characters, if especially if they did not record together. All of those little pauses and breaths and moments of tension, a lot of that comes down to the dialogue edit. What do you like about dialogue editing? It's a funny question because I think that sound design is kind of the sexier (laughs) discipline. (laughs) It's a lot flashier. You get to do like howling wolves and big doors slamming shut. And I'm over here like, which of these takes of him saying the door sounds better? What I like about it is that I'm like a big voice and language nerd. So outside of podcasting, I'm studying to be a speech and language pathologist. So 
I <laughs> I have a very specific interest in just the way that the voice and speech sounds. I find it really beautiful. And as a dialogue editor, a lot of what you're doing is listening to, is this pleasing to the ear? In terms of what I actually do, like what the process is, it's super standardized for this project because we have a ton, a ton of tape to work through. I basically have three steps, right? First, I take the file and I make sure that it sounds clean. So any background noise I try to wipe out, uh, if there's like a weird buzz or whatever, first I just clean it up, get it all nice and shiny, and I make sure that it's at the right loudness, right? So I want to make sure that one character isn't way, way louder than another because that sounds bad to listen to. It's not fun. From there, I do the fun stuff, which is the like the shot selection, you can basically think of it. So I'm taking in all the different readings and saying this one matches with that one and it should time out here. And then I listen to the whole thing together for fine tuning. So you'd be amazed the difference that like a couple milliseconds of pause makes between two characters and the implications that has in the actual like listening of the experience. Yeah, I'm so amazed. You mentioned loudness. Mm -hmm. We had a question online from Scone Mason who commented that the show is really well balanced, that they can play it through phone speakers in the office and still catch everything and asked us, how did we pull that off? So I wanted to ask you, how did you make it loud enough? Totally. So we use a this is going to get a little technical, my friends. <laughs> uh, we use a combination of tools. So first of all, we get rid of as much noise as we can before we make anything louder because anything you do to make anything louder is going to inherently make the noise louder as well. So we start just get rid of as much noise as you can. We use some a combination of just straight up making the whole file louder. It's called amplification. You just kind of take everything and crank the dial up. That makes the most sense. We also use a fair deal of compression. What that is, is it's kind of like if you were to imagine the sound software is watching TV and every time it gets quiet, it says, "Mm, that's quiet. And it kind of cranks the volume up. And then anytime it gets too loud, it brings the volume back down. So it's taking those quieter parts of the dialogue and bringing them up without bringing the peaks even higher. So we set that to a standard level that we know is going to play nice with other actors and also give enough room for Tal to layer in music and sound effects and that kind of thing. Sometimes you have to kind of play with the settings to make sure that it's consistent across actors and across episodes. But by and large, it's about finding the right balance at first and then sticking with it. Because nothing is more frustrating to me than trying to listen to like eight episodes of a podcast and they're just wildly different in terms of how actually loud they are, like in your car or whatever. Yes. I remember just like driving to work and listening to podcasts and like one ends and another begins and it would like either be really quiet and I would like frantically be pressing the up button or it would startle the crap out of me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Our our goal is never to jump scare in that way. We might employ other scares (laughs) if we are feeling it, but we want to try to make sure that it's a pleasant listening experience for sure. I really liked your explanation of loudness because my explanation is just like, oh yeah, I go uh, into the 
audition settings and I say, <laughs> give me this number of luffs, please. And it does that. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I, I use Audacity still, which is really funny for someone who's like a professional at this. Because <laughs> Audacity is, it's free software and it's what a lot of people start out on. And I started using it probably like 2014 just to like mess around with music and like, oh, can I make this into like Vaporwave or whatever? (laughs) And I just never stopped using it. So if you're ever like, well, I want to get started with audio, but I can't afford like an Adobe product, you don't really need one. You just have to be willing to put the work in and it's fun to put the work in. Yeah, like I use Adobe Audition now, but I started with audacity and it can do a lot Mm -hmm. this is a pause as i scroll through questions don't mind me yeah 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 yeah. we'll get (laughs) cut all this shit out hey that's the other thing that dialogue editors do is we get to see all of the like flubs (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the number of times that i've heard one of our actors like completely whiff a line swear and then do an amazing take is it's really incredible uh and i haven't been collecting them for bloopers Because, you know, most actors don't want their mistakes out in the world. But there have been some really incredible ones that I'll just shout out here. Kareem, our ridiculously good Dracula, at one point in the middle of a line referenced, instead of Castle Dracula, he said Castle Grayskull for some reason from He-Man. And he stopped and he's like, why did I say that? He just kept on... With his incredible performance. But I am in hopes that I shall see more of you at Castle Grayskull. Got Grayskull? Where did that come from? And that's one of the real delights of dialogue editing, uh, is the actors will talk to you. They'll say, hey, editor, and I get to be internally like, hello, (laughs) as I'm plugging along. Beyond being a dialogue editor, one of your, I guess, roles or hats for this production was as one of our script editors. Yes. How did your work as a script editor sort of translate to your dialogue editing? Yeah, I mean, they're really intricately tied to me. So a lot of your work in dialogue editing is layering in or expanding upon the work that the actors have done. So the pipeline is, as a script editor, you know, you're thinking about context, subtext, and the actual text itself, especially if you're adapting something. You know, you have to be aware of what's the social political context here? Is this something we need to nudge? Is this something we might want to clip out entirely? And once you have the script prepped, you pass that on to the actors and they breathe life into it. And then if you're me, you get the dialogue back and then you take that living performance and you kind of go back to the text and figure out the best way to extract the meaning from those live performances. So like, for example, if there's a line that an actor says slightly more or less angrily on one of their takes, you need to know where that anger is coming from in the context of the story and whether or not you want to exacerbate it there. Or maybe, you know, maybe there's simmering tension in this scene. So you want to get an angrier take later, but keep this one kind of more as a subtext, right? These are the the larger story shaping things that you can do as a dialogue editor that I think it it really behooves you to have a an intimate understanding of the script so that you're not just choosing at random what takes you're picking up and putting around. We had a question that sort of relates to this from 
Lena is a nerd on Tumblr, who wanted to know what the steps were between like a given page of a novel and an episode. And you kind of started elaborating on that, but I want I want to know more. Yeah. So in this particular project, the pipeline goes. So we used uh, Matt Kirkland's Dracula Daily to help us time out, you know, which parts are going to be where. So that was a major resource. We double-checked that that text was in the correct place in the novel. I have an academic edition that I was putting sticky notes in for for weeks it took. <laughs> so that we then took from just like a book narration, and we pulled out every instance of a character speaking in... So anytime there was quotation marks in the book, you can think of it that way, you know. A, Egad, said Dr. Van Helsing, that was taken and turned into a script format. So manually, we went through and took all of that, put them into individual blocks of text on a script. There are 110 scripts that we made for this, going from like single page to, I think our biggest one's like 30-something pages. It's going to be a three-hour long. October 3rd. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's going to be the apocalypse, and I'm just going to deal with that when we get there. But then, you know, we would go back and we would take a second look at it and say, okay, what can we do now to make this more appropriate for the audio medium? So we would layer in parts for, is this line going to be spoken simultaneously by two characters? Is this part going to be underlied by, say, the howling of wolves? What kind of ambiance might we want here? And that all came together into a more standard audio drama script, which has some of those elements in it so that everyone along the way knows what the end product should sound like that you're working to. And then I guess just to speak real quickly from the sound design perspective, once I get all this beautiful, beautiful audio from Steven, I'll add like texture and environment ambiance first. I'll add sounds to drive tension if it's like an especially suspenseful episode. And then I go into more like action sound effects. So like those Wolf howling, doors closing, footsteps, etc. And then I do reverb last. I'm not sure why. I just like it that way. <laughs> There's something to be said for artistry. <laughs> you just some things you do because they make you happy. The other thing that we didn't mention in there is the sheer number of spreadsheets so that it takes to keep track of all of this. Spreadsheets of you know, which lines have already been recorded, which people have been paid, which episodes need to come out when, which episodes need to be worked out in which order. Do we need anyone to retake any lines because they were flubbed? Do we have them? Are they in the right folders? How many spreadsheets do we have? Like 12? That sounds about right. I mean, we have like Hannah's call sheet. We have episode titles and content warnings as a spreadsheet. Yeah. I'm counting our Monday page as a yeah, spreadsheet. Yeah, I was going to say the Monday is like at least two. Every episode, every status. Yeah, there's a ton of organization that goes in around all of this, which is why it's convenient that we're all also producers on it. Uh, mm -hmm. It kind of gives us a chance to organize it the way that makes sense to us. So there's very little friction, which is great. I love producing with people and not having friction. It's one of my favorite things. Wouldn't it be funny if behind the scenes we were like tearing each other apart rumors style? I couldn't survive. I, I couldn't do it. No, it would not happen. So within all of that back and forth glorious steps, how do you add to the horror of the story? Like specifically within the dialogue edit? How do you make it scary? Audio tension is all about 
pauses and making you lean in. And I, I do this demonstration a lot when people ask me this question. So if you'll indulge me for a second, I'm going to tell you a short story and then I'm going to tell you the same story again, but optimized for audio horror. So here we go. And feel free if you want to put a little backtrack on this bad boy. Ooh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Once, there was a man who lived alone in his apartment. He decided he didn't want to be alone anymore, so he made a new friend out of felt and string and stuffing. The doll looked just like him in every way. He loved the doll, but the doll could not love him back. It got moody and started to hide from the man. One night, the man woke up to find the doll standing at the foot of his bed. Goodbye, said the doll. No, said the man, but the doll turned, stitches popping, thread unspooling, and walked to the door until the man was alone again. So that's kind of a standard audiobook style read where you have a consistent pace, you know, you're trying to make it all kind of come out as one story. But when you do a dialogue edit, what you're doing is you're making it more like a stage play in some ways, where you're anticipating the audience and where they're going to be leaning in and where they need more movement. So that would sound something more like this. This is the kind of thing you can extend in a dialogue edit, encourage in a dialogue edit. Once, there was a man who lived alone in his apartment. He decided he didn't want to be alone anymore, so he made a new friend out of felt and string and stuffing. The doll looked just like him in every way. He loved the doll, but the doll could not love him back. It got moody and started to hide from the man. One night, the man woke up to find the doll standing at the foot of his bed. Goodbye, said the doll. No, said the man. But the doll turned stitches popping, thread unspooling, and walked to the door until the man was alone again. <laughs> you get a sense for the difference, right, in tone, in style. You're trying to make these moments pop, and you can do that by just depriving the listener's ears of a smooth delivery, right? You want people to be like, something's off because I'm not getting the information I want as fast as I want it. What's going on here? You can start with that as early as the dialogue cut. What do you love about the horror genre? I know you're a, a big horror buff. And so I just wanted to ask what... Yeah, why, right? <laughs> why do you do this to us, Stephen? And also, what other horror projects are you working on? What are you inflicting upon the world? So I, as long as I can remember, have loved horror. Um, before I could really handle it, I loved horror. I, It's something that I share with my mom, funnily enough. She kind of got me into it. I remember being in middle school and she would show me some of her favorite horror movies from when she was a kid. But even before then, like the first holiday that I ever loved was Halloween. There's a story that the first Halloween that I could walk I outwalked my older brother who was like three years older than me at the time because I just I needed to stay out as long as they would let me. So it's internal to me, but I, I've thought about this quite a lot. 
horror is unique in our culture in that it encourages you to feel an emotion that is actively reviled, right? Fear is something that you're not supposed to feel ever. It's like not a, a thing that you're supposed to indulge in unless you're, it's Halloween, which is like a reversal festival, or you're on like a roller coaster. So for me, it's been actively therapeutic because you have to look at the darkness, right? One of the major themes of horror, and especially gothic horror, is that if you ignore pain and fear in the supernatural, you do it at your own peril. Right. You can't rationalize the world into being under your control, under your understanding. So it's something that I really carry with me. It's been really important to me. And it's what got me into podcasting as a listener was, you know, pseudopod and uh, knife point horror. And eventually when the Magnus archives came out, I was right there at the beginning. Right. So it's been amazing to get to be a part of this artistic community. I'm on the voice cast for a slew of other bloody disgusting shows, including Mayfair Watchers Society and SCP Archives, which are both just <laughs> so good. Mm -hmm. I'm in a newfound footage piece releasing now called Do You Copy? But probably the biggest thing that I've been working on is I've been writing my own show over the course of the last three years. It's like 270 pages uh, where I'm dealing with my own fear and fascination with suburbia and what it means to have an American dream. Play a man who becomes obsessed with finding his long-lost sister to the point where he falls down this impossible rabbit hole shaped like a real estate development, this suburbia outside of reality. And it was moving to write, actually, because I had to look at what would that kind of loss do to me? How, am I, how do I relate? to familial loss? Um, what would it mean to get everything I, I want, which is like the promise of the suburbs, right? Nothing can hurt you there. It's safe. It's sheltered. And what's monstrous about that normality? What What's right below the skin? So that's called Shelterwood. And you may have heard we have one of the bonuses on this feed right now, I wrote the whole piece is a combination of those kinds of found footage elements and then uh, more of a serial style faux documentary thing, uh, very much taking inspiration from Limetown, the Black Tapes, Video Palace. It's in that subgenre. Yes. I'm so excited for Shelterwood. Like, I know I am in like in it technically in it, technically <laughs> i do some some yeah. graphic design for it but i'm also like sitting in the corner like yes 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 the whole time yeah please yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's funny it just won't ever stop too like there's going to be shelter wood and that's going to take years and years to make and then i'm sure there will be more and more stuff after that i got started in acting in a haunted house like horror is uh an obsession for me Oh man, speaking of getting started, we have another listener question from Goat's Revenge who wanted to know what our backgrounds look like in sound design, dialogue editing. Mm. And they wanted to know how did we get to here? Totally. Why don't you kick us off because I've been talking for a while. <laughs> All right. I did not study anything in college relating to sound design or podcasting. I'm a mechanical engineer. That's my day job and I really like it. But one summer, I was at an internship and I had a really long commute. So I started listening to podcasts and then I started finding fiction podcasts. The Bright Sessions is sort of the show that got me hooked on audio drama. Um, and I finished, well, I 
at the time I caught up. It hadn't finished, but I caught up and I was like, oh, I want more. So I started listening to more shows, following these creators. And I kind of had a like, hang on, hang on. I could do that. (laughs) (laughs) And then I did. And then I just kept doing it. I really love podcasting as a hobby because it's so many smaller things like I do writing, I do voice acting, I do some dialogue editing. I don't enjoy it as much as you, but I do a lot of sound design. And so whenever I'm kind of tired of one thing, I can just pivot. And the more I did it, the better I got at it. And now I'm here. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because I do have kind of an educational background. I started with an undergrad degree in theater And I did a lot of sound design work while I was at the University of Vermont, including some stuff that was like not in the theater, was kind of smaller local community gigs. I did sound design and lighting design for a haunted house up there called Nightmare Vermont. Shout outs to Nightmare Vermont. That's my artistic community, the first one. They they got me back into the arts and I'll always be uh, grateful for that. I, so I had the background in terms of like, okay, I know how to analyze a script for what sounds might be necessary. I've taken a few acting classes, so I know how to work on those kinds of subtextual elements, whatever. But there's really, you can't, it's very hard to learn podcasting in any other way but doing it. Because it's kind of necessarily its own end product. The moment that you record something and then put it out into the world, you've just made a series of sound design decisions. Even if that decision is, I'm not going to edit it, which you probably should. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Even small things. I promise you it'll be worth it. Uh, So I did the same kind of deal where I started as a massive podcast fan. I have been for many years. And I originally ran a, a comedy book club called the Stephen King Boo Club, uh, <laughs> where a friend of mine and I read all of Stephen King's best-selling novels in order and reviewed them. And I had to do all of the editing for that because I had the skill and Phoenix didn't. And my advice, if you are interested in getting into dialogue editing, is edit people who aren't using a script. Get used to the sound of people who are just making it up on the fly. And if you can make that sound better, you can make scripted actors sound incredible. So that's kind of my background is just messing with it until I started to do a few volunteer gigs and a few really low pay gigs. And you just work your way up. Every Everything you do becomes a part of your CV, becomes proof that you can do more of it in the future. And eventually... If you buy enough lottery tickets, you might get a show like this one that is just a dream. Yeah, it it's amazing. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Like, none, none of us can believe it. <laughs> Absolutely none of us. I have a bunch of questions related specifically to the show, but I have one more general one. Let's do it. Tumblr user It's Raining Books asked us, do we do much fully ourselves? And if not, where do we find our audio sources? It's a great question. Why don't you you start and then I'll follow? Yeah. So I have done fully myself. Sort of. It just comes down to if I don't have the sound and I have a means to make the sound, I will do that. Especially when I was starting out, I was working on one podcast called Light Hearts, which is about like a haunted gay cafe, basically. And so there was so much slice of life stuff and it is so hard to find plate getting put on table, grabbing glasses, 
messing around in a kitchen. So I did so much Foley for that. Whereas for regarding Dracula, I don't have giant doors to slam or like wolves outside my window. (laughs) (laughs) These days I tend to do a lot of just I have packs of sound effects. And if I'm missing something, I go and buy it. And so some of this is wildly available i use free sound i love free sound free sound yo shout outs to freesound.org we love you free sound sponsor us this is for you baby (laughs) (laughs) another great source of free um free sfx is the sonus game packs i'm probably butchering that name but every year they give like gigabytes of sound effects away for free and you can just use them wow and then sometimes i need more specific stuff so like for a bunch of wolves howling. I actually went on to a sound effect and I was like, wolf sounds, please. Thank you. And they had a pack of like wolves and coyotes. So I bought it and I've just been re- <laughs> reusing the sounds. <laughs> so it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Also, uh, one thing that we have to take into consideration too is like uh, something we call generics. So this is more on the dialogue editing side of things where if you're doing an audio drama and you have a character close a door, you don't want it to be like, well, I'm going to walk into this room. Door sound. Now I'm in this room. You want the actor to give you something that's like just a little a little clue that they've done the action, right? So the thing that's been big on Tumblr these days is Johnny Sims does a little bit of like a, hmm, at the end of his stuff. And that's a really effective strategy for audio, right? Because it implies an image and it implies an action that is clearly powerful. He's conveyed a very specific meaning. So we'll see that a lot with like smaller characters on this show that are less in the text. So you'll see that a lot for like the Weird Sisters. A lot of their lines are not in the text. They just gave me a ton of tape and I went through and made it into something that sounded different. So in terms of sound design, where you're going to find stuff, I don't do a ton of Foley just because my setup isn't great for it. I record in my closet and I'd rather not bring a ton of stuff in here because I am cramped as it is. <laughs> so I rely very heavily on free sound. And what I will say is that you can do a lot by editing the hell out of a sound. Yes. So one of the best effects I ever made was this kind of awful, terrifying, blaring horn sound that was just a rusty hinge slowed down and compressed a lot. So it was like this like air horn thing that was just like (laughs) it had been very heavily edited and play with that because that can be incredibly powerful and it can stretch what you already have a ton. I also do the same thing with free sound sounds. I don't have a good example like you. At a certain point, it becomes normal. That's the thing is that like it's hard for sound people to remember when they do a lot of it because it's just a part of your toolkit. Yeah, it just it just happens. Should we get into the specifics? What do you think? Yeah, uh, I actually have a really good question for us to jump into the specifics with um, because you you touched on with Johnny Sims hmm a bit about how that was really good for an audio adaptation. Yeah, are there any scenes or moments that you think get especially fleshed out with the introduction of audio or like really work? And this question was from C. Arcane on Tumblr. People have caught on to this over time, but I think that we get a real sense for the emotional fallout of all of this from our characters acting over time. So when you read 
the uh, Dracula's castle section in the book, it's very quick and you don't get a sense for the, the scope of time. And when you add in a very talented performer like Ben Galpin, what he's doing is layering that exhaustion in over his various takes. So he starts out, he's very peppy and he's, oh, here I am. I'm excited to be in a foreign country. And then by the time he's done, he just sounds like hell. And that is something that I think when you get someone's voice projected directly into your cochleas, it's an impactful feeling. And when you have an actor that can really portray that range, it hits hard. Mm -hmm. Hannah and I talked about this a little bit. Hearing Van Helsing break down was my moment of like, oh, man. Yeah, I remember doing that one. And then I guess sort of on the flip side of us going, oh, man, what's your favorite aha moment that you had in terms of creative design? This is from I Like Crocs Suck It on Tumblr. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I have a really specific one. There's a moment right after Kareem does the reveal that he can speak in a perfect posh British accent where he gives a little laugh. That was me. Uh, He had a laugh elsewhere in the take, and it just wasn't hitting quite as hard. It needed more broom to breathe. And I sampled that laugh from elsewhere, popped it right down there, and it gave it that lift it needed, right? That highlight this moment as, oh, God, something terrible just happened. Yeah, so that was for me, like, that was my big win for this show. That's what I'm talking about when I say that, like, there's a lot of artistry in the dialogue cuts, It's those kinds of small moments where you can just highlight a performer in a way that you don't, you're not able to do unless you have the time to sit down and take all of it in. We had Gripping Traverse ask us what our favorite symbolic audio edit was. And that's, that's my favorite. Dracula's just perfect British accent. Because again, it could only be done in podcasting or in an audio medium and we're both audio medium people. So that was like... Yeah, that was a big moment of just everything coming together. All of the prep, all of the directing, just in that one moment. Oh, chef kiss. Oh, it, it was perfect. And then my favorite aha moment in terms of creative design was just anytime Cream laughs and I get to add more echo. <laughs> <laughs> because like normally when, when people are in Castle Dracula, I have the amount of reverb that I'm just like, yep, this is the room they're in. But anytime Kareem laughs, I just up, I up it slightly. So it just echoes yeah. a little more. Well, and what that what that does subconsciously is it, it makes you feel smaller, right? Because those reverb moments, that echo, you feel that in big, big spaces. So when we get those reverb moments, it's actually physically putting your body into the space of a small or a much, much bigger room. I just, oh, I love it so much. <laughs> What was your favorite edit just overall? This was asked by Alcard the Abyss Walker on Tumblr. Oh, Alucard. Thank you, sir. Uh, Or or ma'am or tham or what have you. I love, this is less serious, but every time Van Helsing and Seward interact, it cracks me up because (laughs) Van Helsing is just brutal. (laughs) This man is just calling out Seward for being the huge wet nerd that he is and the actors did not lean away from that and it's just some really fun kind of light comic relief 
and it I would I was laughing like at the editing table. I would like sample it and pass it over to the producers to be like, you hearing this? Yeah, and then we would all laugh about it. Yeah, so I really, really love doing those. They're a delight. My favorite edit uh, is the end of Jonathan's arc in Castle Dracula, June 29th and 30th, where uh, we have that brilliant uh, shovel moment. You worked so hard on the shovel. That shovel took years off your life. That shovel was so hard because I sat there going... What the heck does it sound like when Dracula gets hit in the face with a shovel? And you can't, like, it's so funny. <laughs> but it can't be funny. <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. But, like, obviously, in in text, it's a very heavy moment. I got my shenanigans out by complaining about it on Tumblr, and someone had the brilliant suggestion of uh, a bonk and a Wilhelm scream. So, of course, I did it, and that was hilarious. And then I sat down and I was like, okay. But for real this time, I think ultimately I used like a sword sound effect Mm. (laughs) because as much as we joke about like Looney Tunes bonk, he hits him with the sharp end of the shovel and that's kind of a sword. Right. Right. That's different than the flat end. And these are the kinds of things you have to do as a sound designer that I don't have to do as a dialogue editor. (laughs) I don't need to think about like what era the castle was made in so that I can make sure the rock sounds are right. Okay, I just have to work with what I'm given, and then I give it to someone else. And then I think about rock sounds, which I enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) It took me forever to find the sounds of Jonathan climbing the castle walls. Because I was like, what the heck does rock climbing sound like? Like, I go bouldering. It's not a very Mm -hmm. noticeable or interesting sound. It's not a loud sport. Yeah. (laughs) So I ultimately landed on, I think it's like rocks being gently moved and I was like yeah we'll just pace that like Mm. someone's climbing and it worked out in the end I can get away with a lot because of the narration yeah the sound design kind of takes a backseat unless we want to get funky with it which occasionally we do occasionally yes sometimes (laughs) we do want to get funky with it that's one thing about this production team is that sometimes we get funky with it we get funky with it What were we talking about? (laughs) Is that going to be our title? Getting funky with it with the uh, sound team? Mm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, This is is sort of in the the same vein as what was your favorite edit. This question is by Radar's Teddy Bear, who wants to know if there's a specific entry of dialogue editing or sound design, what, what have you, that we're excited to share with the world. Speaking of in a specific vein, I'm really excited for all the transfusion scenes. They're just so iconic. And to have this all-star cast all together in one space making something really urgent and really intense, I think is going to be a high point of the show for me. One of many peaks that we will get to. I think my answer for this is... The scenes on the Demeter (laughs) with our captain. Yeah, you're going to go ham on those. Yeah, I I went a little bit ham. But part of it is because it's such a different environment. Mm -hmm. So I decided like the horror for the castle. And then I decided that I wanted a different vibe for the ship. Definitely. And I think I think I hit a different vibe. But it's just like really fun and so different, but still scary. Yeah. And I'm really excited for those to be out in the world. Yeah. I don't know when we're putting this bonus on the feed. So maybe they will have started to be out in the world, uh, which is very exciting. Yeah. And Alistair did just such an amazing job on those narrations. Uh, yeah. So. I can't I can't wait to talk about it. Everyone's firing on all cylinders, and it's unbelievable. 
I don't have a good segue for this. Um, but I guess on the on the flip side of what was our favorites, what was difficult to dialogue edit and sound design? This was from Blue Cat Writer on Tumblr. It was hard to do the weird sister sections in a very technical way because they did a lot of improv and I had to kind of splice it together into what sounded like a conversation muttered in a way that wouldn't get in the way of the text. And the same thing with like laughter. Laughter has a really specific rhythm in terms of like people start laughing and that causes other people to laugh. And maybe a third person starts laughing underneath, but you don't want those to overlap too much because then it sounds artificial. Mm -hmm. So that stuff's hard just on like a technical level. On a deeper level, the Renfield sections, I tread incredibly carefully. We are working as hard as we can to move Renfield away from this cultural image of the like stereotyped mad character, which is hard because the text is not helping us here. Mm -hmm. uh, we're having to beat this script with a shovel to make it more nuanced. And every time I'm doing the dialogue editing, I'm thinking, okay, does this sound like a real person or does this sound like a stereotype? And that is just hard. It's worth it, and I like it, but it is hard. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like I sometimes had an easier job because, like, my difficulties with sound design is just, like, I guess the hardest episode was May 5th, where we get to Dracula's castle because that's mm. establishing everything. Right. And so, and it's also a 40-minute episode. So it was a lot of, like, nailing the tone that would be used for, you know, the rest of the two months in that castle. Yeah, 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 yeah. And just like all the wolves, so many wolves. Why does this man have so <laughs> many wolves? Just Can I tell you something? Yes. Um, one of the wolf sound effects that you use was used in Warcraft 3. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, which I played a ton of. They had a like user-made map system that people would make like sub games for and one of them was a game called werewolf which is like a classic among us style which person is not as they seem and the monster would come out at night and the sound effect that would play is one of the wolf hallowing sounds and it sent me back to when <laughs> i was 12 years old playing video games with my brother uh and it was a really weird full circle moment for me <laughs> oh man just for you <laughs> For me. This question is sort of in the vein of like difficulties. It's from Spoopy Action at Distance, who wanted to know if there was something like in the sound design or the dialogue edit that we had a clear idea for, but turned out to be too complicated or too difficult to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the dialogue side, most of the difficulty is just that we're basically translating this book three times in a row. So we go from the book to the script, from the script to the audio drama script, from the audio drama script to the actors, and it is very easy to lose a sentence here or there. So I guess my answer is like the whole concept for the project. Because <laughs> uh, you think, right, like this is in the public domain. It should be really easy to just kind of sample. But we now have like a four-step QA process because people have been pointing out that we like missed a sentence or a few words here. And that's not the goal. So we are like taking note of every time that happens so that we can go back and add them back in after our initial run. <laughs> and we're just doing everything we can to limit that. But it's like if you were to take 
a wall socket from 1850 and use it to power a lamp from this year, you got to do some translation in between there and it's going to be a little sketchy. (laughs) We also had a question from Blue Skelly that was, what were some of your favorite ideas that never made it into the final episode? And I read that question because my answer for like an idea for sound design that I I had a clear image in my head, but it turned out to just not work was in the episodes with the captain on the Demeter. I wanted to have the sea shanty playing in the background of every single entry of the captain, but it just didn't really work out because I don't even know why. Like I just, I put it there and I didn't like it. And it was wrong. Yeah. It didn't work. And fear not, we're going to have the sea shanty. Yeah. We're still doing it. It's but. (laughs) In a place I have decided that does work, but from from the beginning, I was like, yeah, we'll we'll make the sea shanty. We'll play it in the background. And it just it just wasn't there. Didn't didn't happen. Sometimes you have to kill your darlings like you have to make difficult decisions based on your taste, regardless of how much work it made, it took to put it in there. Sometimes it's hard to kill your darlings because especially from a sound design perspective, a lot of the time killing my darlings means not including sounds. And sometimes there's a voice at the back of my head being like, Ah, you're just being lazy. Mm. There's episodes, I think we've gotten to some, but not all of them, where I and the rest of the team wanted a more dreamy feel to it. So I didn't put footsteps in. I did barely any action sound effects because, like, that was the vibe I was going for. But then, like, you know, I would go to the team with the rough sound design of an episode and be like, yeah, so there's not a lot in here. Sorry, but it's way better without having that in there. (laughs) I mean, sometimes a sketch is a more powerful image than like a full painted campus. It just is what it is. Yeah. One thing for the dialogue edit was we wanted to do. So we have a few of these in here and I think they work really well when we have them. But these like simultaneous deliveries uh, where two characters will say the line at the same time on paper. We selected probably like I don't know, two dozen of those across the whole novel, and not many have survived so far because there's just a certain community theater vibe <laughs> to two characters saying something together. And it breaks my heart because we asked the actors to do this thing and it should be weighty and it should be good, but sometimes something is just campy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And you don't intend it to be. And the worst thing for a, a show like this is to start disappearing up its own ass and making decisions because they seem artsy but don't actually serve the story. We had a user, this is worse than it looks like on Tumblr, ask us which actors are the easiest to edit or hardest to edit, and why? So I love all my children equally, and they are all equally a pain in the ass sometimes. (laughs) Um, Some actors have the cleanest, most amazing audio. So, you know, step one, clean it up. That's like, I don't have to worry about it. But they sometimes, like, actors will really nail, like, one half of a line in one take and then the other half of the line in a different take, and then you have to splice them together, which is, again... Not a sign that they're a bad actor. They nailed the whole take, but sometimes it's like they were playing harder with one energy on one line. They just, you know, found it the right way on the other one. And it's our job as editors to showcase how good they are across their takes. So that can be challenging. 
sometimes the opposite thing happens where every take is gold, but it just takes a little more cleaning. And I don't want to name names here because all of these things feel very uh, value oriented. And I just want to assure you that they are not right Mm -hmm. in the same way that any musician is going to be better or worse at the production side or maybe they're better at improvisation. Artistry is messy, and you'll notice as a dialogue editor that different actors have very different processes and may take different numbers of takes. But what you have to get into the mindset of is that your job is to showcase the best of what they have to offer, because that is how editing works, right? This isn't the theater. They don't need to do every single line perfectly every night. They just need to hit it out of the park once. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The number of times that I've startled my fiance by being like, oh, right in the middle of editing something (laughs) because it's just like a line hitched just right or like I figured out how to really nail a transition. It's too much and it can't be good for her heart. (laughs) (laughs) There's a reason our producer group chat is named Steven's fiance's fan club. <laughs> I'm going to be a championship wife guy. It just is what it is. I've got the Harker vibes, ride or die. <laughs> we have one more question. I thought this would be a fun one to end it on. This is also from This Is Worse Than It Looks Like, who wanted to know if we could be a vampire in this universe. Would we be one? Well. Well, I said yes because I want to bite. I said no because I don't want to do anything that would align me against Quincy Morris, my king and yours. It's simply not worth it. See, it's a very compelling argument, but my need <laughs> my need to crunch is superior. You just must bite. I just want to bite. It is. You know, it's really simple. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was delightful. I had a lovely time. Yeah, we should talk more we often. We should. My God. We should uh, also talk when we're not recording it for listeners of the podcast, too. Impossible. If my life isn't content, then what is it? <laughs> we'll start a podcast where we sit down and we just chat about stuff. It's a oh great God, idea, Stephen. No. <laughs> <laughs> Becoming what we hate. You either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself. Start a chat show. <laughs> Uh, Well, thank you so much. (laughs) See, I don't really want to do dialogue editing, but it's really fun to hear what you love about it. Seriously, my last plea, get into it. Like, if you even think that you might want to try this stuff, get a friend to, like, record you a a minute-long monologue and just play with it. Just get weird, you know? Art's about having fun, so go out there and have fun. That's the note I want to end on. Thank you so much for tuning in to this Audio Editor's Roundtable. Dialogue editing was done by Tal Manier, with additional sound design throughout. This episode was produced by Ella Watts and Pacific S. Obadiah, with executive producers Stephen Indrasano, Tal Manier, and Hannah Wright. And we continue to be a Bloody FM production. Yeah, that's really great. Um... Wow, I sounded so insincere there. No, it it was actually really great. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Oh, so cool. See, (laughs) this is why you need a good dialogue editor, right?